Well, happy Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday, if you prefer. Uh, we're going to get into a new series called Relationship Restart. How was that video, huh? It's like you ever get that sign on your computer like, hey, does not compute, you're not getting anywhere. Yeah, I feel like that in the relationship sometimes. It's like no matter how hard you try, it's just like not going to happen. And uh, it's hard. So, hey, the world defines our relationships a certain way, but we want to redefine our relationship with God first and with others. So we're going to take seven weeks. Okay, so keep coming back. You know, we don't just do this once, right? Don't come back here, though because we're not going to be at Century next week. You all know that, right? Like, this is like a one-time deal. We're going back to Kellogg. You're all welcome to come join us. Kellogg Middle School will be there. But we're going to take seven weeks. So anybody need some help with their relationships? Can I see a hand? Anybody? I'm looking to see if anybody doesn't raise their hand. I want to be friends with them, because then we'll be in perfect harmony. Uh, I'm just telling you, I need some help, and the Bible offers a ton of help. We're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 2, chapter 5, and chapter 6 over the next seven weeks, so come back for that. Today, though, I want to get after this, my relationship with God. My relationship with God. And we said that we were going to have to redefine some things, so I figured out to just tell you what I thought the world, what I see the world defines our relationship with Jesus like, okay? Here it is. Um, first, legalism. Sometimes people look at me and they're like, you're all about following the rules. That's what your relationship with Jesus is about. You just are a rule follower. It's legalism. And then other people say it's ignorance. Like the world will say, you're ignorant. That's blind faith. There's no evidence for what you believe. You're crazy. Oh, that's the next thing. See, people will call you crazy because there are crazy people who are out on the street corner yelling at the top of their lungs, repent because you're going to hell. And hey, we should tell people about Jesus Christ, but we should do it lovingly, hey? We don't need to picket people. (laughs) That's crazy stuff. And the world thinks we're crazy when we do those things. And then this, hateful Hateful. You hate me because you hate my sin. And if God doesn't want me happy, then he hates me too, and I don't want to be in a relationship like that. But I think there are some people that realize what I realize, and that is that this relationship with God is a loving thing. That God loved me so much that he sent his only son Literally, three in one, right? He sent himself to die in my place. It's crazy. But this relationship that we have with the Lord is a loving relationship. And that's what we're going to get after today. We want it to be healthy. And we want people to say, I don't understand why you love me so much. In spite of how I hurt you, in spite of how broken our relationships are, in spite of it, You love me. Why is that? And we can say, well, God invited me into relationship with him. Romans 15, 7 says, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And so God has invited us into a relationship, and he continues to invite us, and he wrote a book. Maybe you could hold up the book that he wrote. 
He wrote a book. We call it the love letter, okay? This is God's love letter. Do you ever received a love letter from your honey? I got a whole shoebox. Jordan? Jordans were big back then. I'm old. A whole shoebox of love, love letters from my bride, and I'm so grateful for her sticking with me. But you know what? God loves me so much. He wrote 66 books, right? A bunch of words just to explain to me how much he loves me. And this is the greatest story ever told. And this is the story that never gets old. It doesn't get old. I want to say it again and again and again and again. And uh, so, you know, do you remember when, back in the day, when we didn't have anything? No, you don't remember. You're not old enough. Tell your neighbor you don't remember. Come on, now tell them. You don't remember. Come on, Rocky, you don't remember. Come on, I know you don't. You don't remember. But, you know, it used to be that they would just speak verbally. They would tell the story of the gospel and they would just speak it. And they would try to use whatever illustrations they could get out of their mouth, out of their mouth right, to just explain the gospel and the goodness of the Lord. And then came, well, this is amazing, the flannel graph. <laughs> this is my era. Do you see it? Do you see it? Yeah, yeah. Woo! Jesus on a cross. And for dramatic effect, you just put it on there when you want. <laughs> the centurion. Ooh. And then you've got an empty tomb with an angel sitting on the stone. I read that this morning. Flannel graph. To explain the story that never gets old. And then, and then, oh yeah. How many of you guys grew up reading this? This is a big picture story Bible. Look at this. Look at it. Yeah, you still read it. Look at this. Glossy photos, right? of an amazing God who we're so thankful for. But now we're in a new age, are we not? Everything's about video. Watch this video from the Gospel Project. 66 books, dozens of authors, a holy canon thousands of years in the making. Consider the works, accounts of history and law, prophecy and poetry verses of wisdom and letters from friends. Now, look again. What do you see? Behind the fallen creation where the first son Adam led all humanity astray, there is the faithful son, a new Adam who fulfills the promise and crushes the serpent's head. In the waters of the flood, just as God used Noah to save his family from judgment, there is a greater vessel by which all God's children are saved. On the altar of desperation, just as Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, comes the answer from the wilderness, behold the lamb. For a thirsty people, just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness, there is a rock whose living water satisfies forever. In the battle against Goliath, where an unlikely king became a champion for his people, we see the shadow of a greater king who defeats sin and death to claim our victory. In the long exile of a people, Isaiah's eyes were opened to a vision of salvation and the eternal journey of God's people to the promised land. Until finally, in humble manger lay the hope of the world, 
the king who reigns from a throne of straw to Calvary's cross to the deathless tomb of eternal Easter. Every story casts his shadow. Every word, every verse bears his testimony. The Holy Messiah, Jesus Christ, eternal King. This is The Gospel Project. So you can go to The Gospel Project and get so many fabulous videos. I posted one yesterday about atonement and sacrifice. And um, you know what? There's so many resources. This story never gets old. We spend a lot of times trying to hear a different story, trying to hear new stories, trying to get a new sitcom or a new thing on TV. But this story, man, you want to hear this story again and again and again. So hey, let's just preach it from where we're at right now, Ephesians 5. Go ahead and open your Bible. We've been um, studying Ephesians, and we're now in chapter 5, and so I'm just going to get it right from here. Everything kind of draws back to Jesus Christ, and you'll see it right here, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's it. That's the gospel right there. Let me break it down for you. Therefore, therefore, chapters one through four. Can't preach that again today, but we went through a doctrine series. We went through a seek him series. We went through a walk this way series. You can get it all online if you want to get therefore down. Okay? There you go. You can get that down. But I want to focus on these next few words. Be or become imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. And I wish I could just be across the table from each one of you, maybe drinking some coffee and just tell you how much God loves you. Wish I could just take the time to just roll up, look you square in the face, hear all of your sin and shame, right? And you could hear all of mine, and then just to look at you and say, and God loves you. You're a beloved child of God. He's forgiven you. Won't you turn from that sin? God says it right here, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. So today, I'm going to give you two truths, two proofs, and one promise. All right? Everybody say it now. Two truths, two proofs, and one promise. All right? That's what I'm going to give you. It's going to be really hard and fast, really quick. Here's the first truth. You see it there. The word is beloved You are loved by God. You are loved by God. You're like, I'm not convinced, okay? Well, if you don't believe the word, you're not gonna know you're loved by God because that's where God chose to reveal it. But then somebody might show up at your house and do something good and you might see it tangibly and you might be convinced more readily that God is love because you see it in the life of someone else. More about that in a second. 
But I will tell you, and I will stand by it, it is a fact. Is fact is two plus two equals four. We haven't changed that fact. A lot of facts have changed, but not that one. Two plus two equals four. As sure as that is, and even more sure, you are loved by God. John 3, 16, everybody knows it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, not your neighbor, means you. <laughs> Nudge your other neighbor. It's kind of, you got to get a full workout. <laughs> that means you too. And that means me. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Won't perish, but have eternal life. Matthew 3.17 says this, at Jesus' baptism, from heaven, the Father, everybody around heard it. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then John, uh, Jesus, praying in John 17, said again, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as they loved me, even as you loved me. If you want to read more about God and how much he loves you, how much he took you from death and rose you from the dead, read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. You see, the point is this. God created you because he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He's coming for you because you're his child. That's the next thing. This truth is so clear. You are a child of God. You're not here apart from God. You're a child of God. God created you. John, in the first chapter, verses 9 through 12, says it so clear. If you were here Friday night, we talked about darkness. Today we're really talking about the light. And it says, the true light which enlightens everyone. I hope that you'll be enlightened today. I hope that God opens up your eyes and you see for the first time the light of his truth was coming into the world. He was in the world, Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own children. He came to us, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You go, well, to become children of God, what does that mean? Yeah, well, there's obedient children and there's disobedient children. And God uses both. This here says obedient children. You can become an obedient child of God. But we are all born sons Daughters of disobedience. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, you have to come like a child. You have to come humbly. You can't come high and mighty. Of course Jesus died for me. Couldn't he have come sooner? <laughs> Couldn't he have died faster? No, it's not like that. Become humble like a child. Small. 
simple faith. I just believe that Jesus did it for me, and I don't know why. Some of us imitate God better than others. Back to our word, imitate. Imitate. Um, I would love to take the time, I'm not going to, to have some adults come up and play Simon Says with me. I think that would be really fun, don't you? But see, adults don't want to play Simon Says. They think that's foolishness. Pat your head. Simon says, pat your head. Rub your belly. Simon says, and adults are like, you're not going to get me up there for anything. But the kids, right? Yeah, good job, Eli. Kid, Eli's doing Simon says, stop. But the kids, they're all over it. They're on it. Man, I want to imitate you. I'll do what you say. I want to do what you say, God. Adults got their own plan. Kids just want to mimic. They look like their parents pretty soon after they talk like their parents. I hope that's good. Act like their parents. So I guess the question is, since I'm a child of God, he created me. Are you an obedient child or a disobedient child? I have some of both at different times. Take your pick. And I am some of both at different times. Take your pick. So how do I know if I'm an obedient child or a disobedient child? Well, that gets us past the truths to the proofs. Two proofs. Here's the first proof. Real quick now. Tangible love. Let me read for you the rest of the passage. Tangible love. You have to see it, feel it, taste it, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He died for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. If you're a believer today, I got to say to you, stop sinning. If you're an unbeliever today, I got to say to you, you can stop sinning. And yet we all do it. That doesn't make it right. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk. I think we're getting to the heart now. Nor crude joking, which are out of place. Out of place for who? Out of place for children of God. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. The problem so many times in our life is we have the sin of unforgiveness and unthankfulness. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexual, immoral, impure, or is covetousness, that is an idolater. Like if you're putting something above God, even lunch today, or your family, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. This church is all about love and grace, but it's not a free love, free grace. You're like, whoa, hold on. I thought it was free. Yes, it's free. Get it in order. It's free to us because it cost Jesus everything. Because it cost Jesus everything, and because I'm mimicking Jesus, it now costs me something too. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to please myself. 
So people will accuse you of being legalistic, of following the rules. And to that, you just have to say, I didn't used to do that, but now I'm following Jesus. And I'm living in freedom, not bondage to sin. This tangible love finishes this way. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There they are. So whether you're a believer or not, you can be a son of disobedience. I know this is referring to unbelievers, but there's times we walk in disobedience. Is it true? Can we be true in church? Hey, maybe if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you would just say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because then our visitors who are like, I don't know, can be at least like, hey, we're honest. We're honest, right? So why did Jesus have to die? Because of my sin. That's why. That's why he had to die. And he overcame and swallowed up and forgave my sin. He paid for my sin with his blood. Let me share with you just a, 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 just a couple verses in regards to this. First, okay, John 15, 12 through 13. You want to see some tangible love? Here's Jesus Christ, our example, right here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no man than this, no woman than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Do you know who that someone is? Do you know what his name is? Let me hear it. Jesus died for you. And then he goes to 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 7. Beloved, loved ones, let us love one another tangibly, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made real, manifest among us, that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. You didn't love God first. He loved you first. But that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation. That means payment. To be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, and he does, it's a real thing. We also ought to love one another. And we love because he first loved us. Now let me sum it up with this. John 13, 34 through 35. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I pray that this is pricking your heart and that you're seeing the love of God. A new commandment, Jesus says, right after he washes the disciples' feet, which is a servant thing to do, not a master thing to do, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now listen. Our love needs to be tangible. People need to see it. They need to feel it. They need to hear it. It needs to touch them just like the love of Jesus Christ has touched us so deeply. Tangible love. i got to finish this point with this right here. Did you notice there was sin there? Yeah, 
That's the bad start part of the story, isn't it? But I love you enough to tell you with all seriousness in my face, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're sinning, you need to stop it. Stop sinning. Go and sin no more. Do you get it? Jesus Christ paid for it. And when you understand that He paid for it, you don't want to do those things anymore. You want to follow Him. So stop going your own way. Stop doing your own thing. You can't live like that in sin and call yourself an obedient child of God. It's not who you are. It's not who He made you to be. You're forgiven. And you're free. Live in that freedom. Alright, the second proof. Visible light. Visible light. So, let me read the rest for you. Verses 7 and following. Ephesians 5, 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Become partners with who? Those that are sinning. Don't hang around with those that are sinning. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern. This is why we have the Word of God. We try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to read the Word and find out what God wants us to do. There's a verse for that. Psalm 119, 105 says, The Lord, the Word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This, I have hidden God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. This Word, this book, this love letter, this story that never gets old is the story that will tell you how to discern what is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Can you imagine some of the things that went on in Rochester, Minnesota last night? I wouldn't even speak of those things. I'd be ashamed to say it. The abuse. The filthiness. The taking of life. We don't even talk about those things that they do in secret. We don't talk about the things that are in my mind that if I did them, I'd be in jail. We don't talk about those things. We hide them from everyone because we're ashamed of them. But God has a different response. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Evidence for this is that this isn't a quote of Scripture, although it's close to Isaiah 60, verse 1. Evidence for this, scholars say that this is a baptismal hymn. 
that people would say or speak because it was going to represent the death, burial, and resurrection from the dead and us sinking ourselves with Jesus Christ. So what are you doing? I'm waking up today. I was asleep, dead, and I am now raising from the dead spiritually with the physical symbol of baptism. And Christ will shine on me and through me as I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. People are going to see a difference. There's going to be visible light. I'm praying that people will see the visible light in you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. You wouldn't do that. You light a lamp because you want to see. But you put it on a stand and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Be visible with your light. Take a stand for what you believe. And expose sin in your own life. Because that's the most loving thing to do, right? You want to go around exposing it in everybody else's life first. You want to expose it in your life first. So let's start there today with our relationship with God. Next week, Chris will get to uh, our relationship with one another and more exposing of light there. Now, I'm praying that Christ will shine on you today. But i got to make this tangible. So in our last few minutes, let me just say this. I've been reading the Gospel of John and um, I would just read John 1 through 5 this week. It's so powerful, just those five chapters. It's something you can bite off and chew. But in John 3, he talks about Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Let's call him a churchy person. Anybody a churchy person? Come on now, you're all in church. Don't leave me up there. Churchy people. Churchy people who think they have all the answers. Those people. And then in chapter 4 of John, you have the woman at the well. Somebody just checking it out. Just got in a conversation with somebody. Just got in a conversation about Jesus, or with Jesus, she did. And all of a sudden, the offer on the table was new life, living water. And she's like, give me that water. Those people come with a lot of deep questions. No pun intended to a well. Okay? Deep questions. They come with a lot of deep questions. I don't understand. What is going on here? And then you have Peter, a committed follower of Jesus Christ in John 21. A committed follower of Jesus Christ who crumbles and denies Christ, right? And then gets restored. Has a restart in his relationship in chapter 21. Why? because he crumbles under the pressure of trying to perform in the Christian life. Anybody ever done that? I'm just trying to pull myself up by the bootstrap. I'm just trying to do this thing. So flip over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll just take one of these stories quickly, and I want to show it to you, how Jesus interacts 
how Jesus shines visible light, how Jesus shows tangible love in order that this one promise of eternal life might be realized. Let me just read it for you straight through. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, a churchy guy, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. I mean, he was teaching in church. He was the small group leader. He was the guy serving it as an usher, working in children's ministry. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, out of fear that he'd be found out that he didn't have all the answers. You all have that fear today too, don't you? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're like, I want to be in heaven. I want to go see Jesus. I want to have a relationship with him. Nicodemus said to him, he came because he wanted a relationship. How can a man be born when he is old? I want to know the answer so I can do it. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, maybe a smile on his face. That's ridiculous. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's natural childbirth, and the spirit, that's supernatural birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, I know so well. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Thank you, Lord. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind or the Spirit, same word is right above, blows where it wishes and you hear the sound. I heard a lot of wind yesterday, you guys. There's a blowing, blowing, blowing. And you could see the effects of the wind in our signs out here all day. But you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born with the Spirit. You're not going to know what hit you today. You're not going to believe it when God opens your eyes. And maybe he already has, I pray. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel? Have you been going to church, been told by all these pastors and priests and, and people, maybe even your own parents, what you should be doing, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen because I am God. He could have added that on. But you do not receive our testimony? You're not going to trust God and his word? What gives? If I have told you earthly things, two plus two equals four, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he, pointing probably to himself, who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I probably lost you right there, didn't I? See, you're going to have to go read Numbers 21 today to figure that out. But see, he lost Nicodemus too. 
Because Nicodemus is like, I know that story. Yeah, he put a snake on a pole and people would come. If they got bit by snakes, it was a plague because they were rebellious against God. Their sin was a problem. But if they came, even though they were sinners and got bit by a snake, if they came and saw the golden serpent on the cross, on the pole, if they looked on him, then they would be healed, saved. They would have a relational restart. And so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Can you imagine what Nicodemus thought when he saw Jesus on a cross? When he looked up at the Son of Man who was lifted up in front of him on a cross. Can you imagine what he did? I don't have to imagine. The Bible tells me that he was one of the two guys that buried Jesus. Do you think he believed? I think he believed. He saw him on a cross and he said, my Lord, my God, I'm a sinner. I understand for the first time. And so whether you're a religious leader, religious person, or whether you're a, you can read it, John 4, the woman at the well who's just coming to check it out, or whether you're Peter, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, right? We all need a relational restart. We all need to come back to God, look Him in the eye, know the love He has for us, wash away the sin that we've done, and restart. Tangible love, restart visible light in our lives, and reclaim this one promise of eternal life. Now once you have it, it'll never leave you. You know that, right? But so many times we turn our back on eternal life and we think, man, maybe I don't have it. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to play with your emotions today. Let's be clear. If you're saved, you're saved. Repent of your sin. Restart that relationship. But if you've never admitted that you're a sinner, if you've never said, I'm a sinner, you might just say it. I'm a sinner. I mean, I just am. I'm a sinner. God, you know that. I'm not telling you anything different. I'm just exposing the truth. But God, I believe that you're my Savior. Thank you, Jesus Christ. And I believe that you rose from the dead in victory over my sin and death. And I accept you by faith. Why by faith? Because I wasn't there when he died and I wasn't there when he rose. But I'm reading it as testified by people who were there. And I believe it by faith. I believe that God is who he says he is. Do you believe that? God came to save you. And we come as beloved children of his. He came to bring us back into relationship by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's alive, amen? He's alive. That's why we're here today. He's alive. He's alive and well. And he's in your heart working right now. Now I want to walk in relationship with him. I want to walk in relationship with him. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to restart your relationship with God. I'm going to start with those who may be the woman at the well who are just here checking it out. You're like, man, that's hard, I know. 
But you know what happens? If I ask everybody else to stand, then you'll stand too. So really, this is a decision. See, Jesus Christ stood, didn't he? On a hill. You go, that wasn't his own choice. They killed him. No, no, that actually was his own choice. He could have called thousands of angels and been down off that cross at any point. He stood there for you. And he took all your sin and shame so that if you stand today, you will have no sin and shame. Imagine that. You are forgiven and free. He stood condemned so that you can stand free. So maybe you've heard the gospel again, or maybe you heard it for the first time today, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. I'm going to ask you, just like the woman of the well did, won't you stand for Jesus Christ? Don't you want to start or restart a relationship with Jesus? If you want to start a relationship with Jesus for the first time today, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Go ahead. That's great. Amen. That's great. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. I know we clap. I know we clap. And I know we clap and because we know the angels are rejoicing, right? The angels are rejoicing. There's a celebration going on in heaven, right? But, 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 when we clap, you know what that does? The person who's like, maybe, maybe I should stand is like, oh, okay, it's over. Thank you. I'm just telling you, that's a natural reaction. And so, just going to ask you guys to stand up again. Go ahead. You guys that stand. Just stand up again. No, that's awesome. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I want other people to stand, okay? Hey, if you need to accept Jesus Christ for the first time, go ahead and stand. Now, I'm going to move on. Keep standing. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm going to move on. Here it is. Um, if you've been going to church a long time and you think you're saved, but today you're like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Then whether you're saved or not, see, I went forward when I was 16, January 15, 2015, or 2000, whoa, it wasn't in 2000, January 15, 1992. It was 19, that was a long time ago when I was 16, I'm trying to be younger than I am. I remember that. And I didn't know if I was saved or not, but I knew I was sinning. And I knew I needed to be, accept Christ. And I knew I needed to have a restart with Jesus Christ. So if you uh, want to confess your sin, he's already covered it. He's on the cross. He stood for you. You stand for him, okay? If you want to restart a relationship, maybe there's a sin in your life that's just been tripping you up. And, or maybe you're a Pharisee and the sin is you think you're saved and you're so stubborn that nobody can have you stand and no, you're never going to accept Jesus Christ. Uh, you did it. You were baptized. You were this. You were that. You went to church. I don't know. Whatever the obstacle is, would you ask God to climb over that? Because he'll climb over if you won't. He'll come for you. I'm going to ask you to stand as well. If you want to either restart a relationship with God or maybe it's just you're actually getting into a relationship. Go ahead, stand it up. Who is it? Come on now. All right, praise the Lord. No clapping. The angels are rejoicing. That's enough. Praise the Lord. Yes. All right, now this. Now this. Maybe you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ, but this week you denied Jesus Christ with your sin. Okay? Didn't we? But I'm committed. And God restores Peter, doesn't he? 
And he says, let's restart the relationship. He says, do you love my lambs? Because you know I love them. Do you love me, Jesus? Or Peter, yeah, you know I love you. Well then, feed my sheep, shine the light, love tangibly, let's go after it. And so I'm just going to ask, right? Even if you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to restart a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, I'm going to ask you to stand up. This is a relational restart. This is where we get it straight, right? And I'm just saying to you, with all these decisions being made, I'm just saying to you, we want to go after it. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? This Easter, let's shine brighter than ever, we've ever shined before. <laughs> let's, let's love more tangibly with our families. When you go to lunch with your family, you better love them. Love them like they've never been loved before. Let me pray. Thank you for all these decisions, Lord God. They are your decisions. They are your people. And I pray that you would give them the power of the Holy Spirit. God, fill them up with your Spirit right now. Full and overflowing. Your glory, your power in their life in a tangible way. Loving them so they will be loving and shining on them so they will be bright in this world. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord.